This episode of Let's Think On It comes from an excerpt from O Brother Radio with Will Lockamy, Reed Lockamy, and Dr. Mark Westfall. So welcome to the show. Dr. Mark Westfall, we do this about once a month. Uh, and of course, we always record these and put them up online. You can find them wherever you find podcasts under the name Let's Think On It. By the way, Ada Cohen joins us tonight. She is our intern for the summer, and she's filling in for Reed tonight and doing a fantastic job. Um, this was a no-brainer. When you called the other day, I knew exactly what you were calling about. Yeah, about I, the topic? Yeah, about the topic. Yeah. I, I knew before you even said it, yeah, this is what we're going to do. Um, so so go ahead. Tell, let's start this off and tell everybody what we're going to be discussing this evening. Well, I mean, you know, obviously it's been all over the headlines is uh, the concept of suicidality and the, the um, two famous individuals who've completed an act of suicide. So everyone's talking about it now. So, And, you know, my approach, you know, I, I don't like to sensationalize things. You know me. Um, right. Oh. But I like to talk about things when people are listening because that's when people take it in. Right? Yeah. I mean, I, I've been in this practice for, you know, in psychiatry for almost 30 years. And so it, to me, it's kind of part of everyday life. Um, and I could have had this, you know, conversation anytime we sit down, but people really don't want to hear it. But right now, people seem to be listening. So I thought, okay, well, now's the time to talk about it. Not necessarily to take advantage of, <clears throat> you know, two um, tragic losses, but to take that and make something good of it by communicating with the public and hopefully educating people about the concept of suicide. Because I think there's a lot of you know, lack of understanding by many people. And then there's also a lack of, of, of people's knowledge about being able to reach out for help. And so we're just going to talk about that as a concept in general. Yeah, um, I, I certainly don't feel like uh, you are or we are taking advantage of this. Everyone's talking about it during the break there, uh, having nothing to do with you guys, with Dr. Ostad and Marika. We were talking about it. It's um, on people's minds. People are calling the crisis center at I'm not sure about the one here, but I've heard nationwide uh, at record numbers and, you know, and numbers are up. We're seeing studies that over the last 20, 25 years, numbers are way up with suicide. And so yeah. um, there's plenty to talk about, and this is the time to do it. Right, right. So, you know, I'm pretty basic. I like to define the topic. So, you know, first of all, we'll define suicide as intentionally taking one's life. It sounds simplistic. Okay, that's obvious. But there are many reasons people do that. Um, it's not just one reason that people come to the act of taking their life um, and so we can't cover every reason someone might get to that point um, tonight but we can touch base on a few and I think the most um, common I guess is depression and or feeling overwhelmed with stressors um, that's probably the, the the largest category. I mean, there's other categories. I mean, when people are manic, uh, they can uh, take their life. Um, when people uh, are uh, grieving, they can take their life. When uh, in some cultures, um, it's an act of honor. In the Japanese culture, uh, certainly historically, um, if they did something disgraceful to the family, then suicide was seen as an an act of honor to keep from disgracing disgracing your family. Um, in other cultures, uh, sacrifice. Um, uh, it can be a religious uh, means of sacrifice. So there's a lot of reasons people might take their life. But I think what everyone's kind of connecting with, with the two individuals, um, uh, with Kate Spade and, and Anthony Bourdain, is they were probably struggling with something um, and from a depression standpoint. And so that's kind of where I'm going to focus on tonight with with that process and, and 
how someone gets to the place of of acting on taking their life. So depression, when we say that, is that a, a clinical like chemical imbalance, or can that mean a lot of things? So great question. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I always bring in good questions. I, always, I don't know why I always feel to say that when you say that, but. <laughs> Well, it is, you know, because I love basic questions. I mean, I love questions because if you have it, there are many people out there that have the same questions. So um, when I say depression, I am talking about a condition uh, that the brain gets to, a state of the brain that it gets to that changes the nature of the way the brain functions. And so that's an, it's an illness. Now, everybody doesn't necessarily fit the specific criteria. There are very specific criteria when people are doing studies um, of what depression means. So when I do a study and use a medication, they have to fit a certain criteria. But many people don't necessarily fit all the criteria, but still have the condition. Okay, so um, I'm talking about more in a global sense of the the illness of depression. And the one of the key facts I want to get out to people is that it really does change the way your brain is currently functioning and when you are depressed physically. Yes, can, yeah. physically changes the way your brain functions, and that has secondary effect, secondary effects on your body. So it, it affects the way you feel physically. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've had family members and some friends that have dealt with it over the years, and it's very hard for me to uh, empathize with with them because I haven't felt it. But it's um, they can't get out of bed, like you know. I mean, like for uh, I'm talking about for a month or two. No, obviously they will get out of bed and do things. Yeah, but, but they it's don't a feel real, like getting out of bed. Yeah, it's a real right. struggle to get right. out of bed. And then, um, yeah, it's just a, it's an interesting. It's hard to understand if you don't, if you haven't, if experienced, you haven't it. experienced it. Right. So you know, it, it is a, it's a condition that steals your motivation. Um, it it affects obviously your mood. Uh, it affects your your brain's function in the way that you think you can't concentrate as well um and it it affects how you view things and that's if you haven't come close to having it or or haven't spent much time around someone with it it may be hard to comprehend but it literally affects the way that you see things i tell people it's like it would it would be like if you put on very dark glasses and were to look at the same object in your house they would look differently i mean that's a metaphor for depression it literally puts emotional goggles on your brain and so everything that enters your brain is received differently Um, so and if you think about that then you can see how your brain can get into a very different dark place if everything that comes in gets interpreted differently and put into a dark hole and so people get to this place where they really aren't thinking rationally when it when it gets severe and when they get to a stage of having thoughts about I want out of this, then the thought of of ending their life sounds like a way out. Yeah, I heard it described the other day um, on NPR as someone who had survived was saying, I didn't want to die. I was just so tired and the depression was hurting so much that I just wanted to rest. And this was the only way I felt that I could yeah. get that. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about that. And um, boy, so many other things. When we come back, Abby Litovsky. Correct. Yeah, she will Correct. join us. She's the director of the Crisis Center here in Birmingham. Of course, we try to do as much as we can with the Crisis Center because we love them and what they do. CrisisCenterBham.org. We'll be giving you that website throughout the evening as you listen. Totally. So let's introduce our guest. Abby, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. So, um, yeah, glad you are here. Abby Lovatsky, 
Le, right? Litovsky. Litovsky. There you go. Litovsky, director <laughs> of the Crisis Center here in Birmingham. And you guys do great things. Um, of course, the just a call away 5K every year we're involved with here at the station and gives us a great opportunity to, to give everybody information about the Crisis Center. Um, so really glad you're here. One of my favorite events and happy to be here. Yeah, Thank you. So tell us a little bit about what is the Crisis Center and then what is your role? Because you have a specific role that pertains to what we're talking about tonight. Right. So the Crisis Center is available 24-7 to help people with any sort of crisis, any sort of thing that somebody needs emotional help and support with, we're there to provide that for them. So we have our 24-7 crisis line, never close. Holidays, weekends, nights, snow days, there's always going to be someone there Mm -hmm. answering the call. And we also have lines for kids and teens to call, a line that we reach out to seniors. We also do things like our rape response program and um, mental health daydream program. So we have a lot of different different lines and help. Um, and I'm the crisis line coordinator. So you're specifically for crisis line, is that um, specifically for suicide crisis or any crisis? Any sort of crisis. Okay. So we'll talk with people who just need someone to talk to and someone who's suicidal So call everything. doesn't come in and get transferred to a specific, it, it is any crisis. Right, crisis and suicide wow. line, any sort of crisis. And what, are the, what are the logistics behind that? Uh, like, is that a room? Do I, am I looking thinking about like a 911 room where people are sitting around waiting on a call or does it get directed somewhere? How's that work? Yeah, so we have our phone room and we have calls um, coming into the phone lines and volunteers and staff people there 24 Four seven, oh. so less hectic and chaotic than probably nine one dispatch, but definitely the calls come into our phone room and we take them there. And how long has the crisis center been in operation? Since nineteen seventy. Wow, almost fifty years. Yeah, no, really, kidding. almost fifty years. That's impressive. I honestly did not. I didn't know that. That's yeah. a long time. Yeah. So, um, when it comes to educating your staff about this because I can imagine I mean, you have volunteer staff right we are, we have volunteers and there's always a staff person there for okay. support too so they go through some training I presume for learning how to do this and what, give us a little snippet of, of what it's like from the the crisis side what are the what are the people who are receiving the calls you know what's it like for them so they're getting calls and we don't know who we're talking to when we pick up that phone so for them they're trained to be listeners and to provide that support no matter who they talk to so they're trained to listen and provide that unconditional positive regard and um, a listening ear no matter what someone's going through but it can definitely be be nerve-wracking not knowing what you're going to get on the other end of the line you know, one time I listened to a podcast on 911 operators, and it was a guy who trains people and whatever, and he was saying the shocking number of 911 operators who are not trained. They are like, they apply for a job, and they are thrown in there and have to deal with, now I'm not saying everywhere. Obviously, a lot right. of times people are fully trained, uh, but like when he started, well, that he just went in there. To, it's probably hard to fill the room with people. I mean, that's right. a yeah. difficult position. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And he I mean, just how some of the cases have stuck with him for so many years. And he basically told those stories. But that that's the thing about this is, you know, it's a good question about how are they trained yes. and how much. Yeah. Thankfully, yeah. every person answering that phone line has been through our crisis center volunteer training. Yeah. yeah. So I suspect with what's going on that your calls have increased. And, and I guess that would be an in, Well, have they increased? They have, definitely. We have people calling and we'll have people mentioning what happened last week and mentioning how it's affected them personally, even not knowing um, Kate Spade or Anthony Bourdain, how it's personally affected them and, and that they're struggling with it. Do you think people are calling more because they are being educated or aware and they're saying, well, I, I need to reach out? Or do you think they... I guess has it is it a negative effect of what happened that's creating the calls or is or people saying wow I don't want that to happen to me I better reach out in other words were they already struggling 
and this has you know triggered them to reach out or do you think this caused them to struggle? Does that make sense? I think for a lot of people, you know, having the awareness that, that this is real and maybe I'm not the only one struggling, that other people are out there and, and that they have real struggles too and these celebrities are, are real people also, um, you know, with all the the numbers being posted, which we're thankful that, you know, most of the time we see the, the number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline posted. I think a lot of times people say, okay, maybe I need to talk about this. Yeah. I need some help too. So I think that's a big part of it. So I don't think it, it causes people to, to think about suicide, but I think it really helps them see, I, I need some help and I need to talk to someone, or this this deeply affected me and I need to, someone yeah. to talk to. That's been my experience in my practice is that people are, you know, reevaluating themselves a little bit and saying, yeah, I better call. You know, right. I'm just not doing as well as I think I should be doing. Um, so I want to reach out and call. There's this, you know, there's this term about um, copycat. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And I'm not a fan of that term. I don't know how you feel about that, Abby. But um, I agree because I think it minimizes, you know, the completely. complexity of suicide. Yes, I agree. It, it's not a copycat gesture. I mean, copycat is something that you did when you're in grade school and someone said something and you mimicked them. You know, mm-hmm. you're being a copycat. I mean, w- what I would refer to it as is it. it I think it can be. Um, the act of taking your life can be sometimes a little contagious um, because it may, if someone has been thinking about it, it might give them kind of permission to do it. Does that make sense? For you? Sure. Right. For, for, for us, what we think, we see that, you know, when you are exposed to a loved one who dies by suicide or, you know, for us on a nationwide scale, seeing these celebrities, what it does, I think, for people, it says, you know, I'm struggling too, and this is what they thought was the solution. Is this the solution for me? Yeah, we someone who's respected to, and who seems right. to have all the stuff. Right. Exactly. Right, right. So, of course, we want people to know that there are other solutions. There is always that that help out there, right, like right. the crisis center. But I think what it does is it makes people think that, okay, maybe this really is my only option. Yeah. For, so for the listener out there who maybe can't relate to this, I'm gonna, I've got an analogy that's kind of lighten it up a little bit. So, you know, this contagion, so to speak. I mean, human behaviors in general uh, can be somewhat contagious. You know, if you see someone doing something, you, you might find yourself doing it if you've watched it long enough. So an example, let's say about if you're in a, um, a bar where there's music or a band playing and no one's dancing, right? And you're thinking, I wouldn't mind dancing, but there's nobody on the dance floor. But someone goes on the dance floor, right? One person. And another person said, oh, you know, I was thinking about it, but now someone's doing it. Now I have now permission to go do it. I'm going to do that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then three, four, and then suddenly the dance floor's full. And it's why that musician up there puts the first tip in himself. Right? The same thing. The same thing. So people, people follow the other tip people's and behaviors. Like, oh, people are tipping. Sure. Great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, in, 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 a, in a more sad and tragic way, I think with... With, uh, with suicide, if someone you know, like so sometimes this happens in schools, high schools, or um, if someone you know has acted on it and you have had some similar feelings, right. you might be a little more prone to act on them if you've already been thinking about it. So that's not really a, I wouldn't call that a copycat, I call it maybe a little, contag- the behavior's a little contagious. Right. Um, so what I wanna make sure we talk about tonight is that if you're having those thoughts, there are things that we can do to help you you're in a place that you can get out of, and that is taking your life is is not the route out. It feels like it is sometimes, 
but there are other routes out. And so reaching out to someone who can help um, is the first step. And if you know someone who you think is struggling with depression, um, reaching out to them, you know, can also be helpful. And one thing that I get asked a lot is that, well, if I've, you know, I've got a family member, a family member or someone I'm close to, if I ask them if they've ever had suicidal thoughts, am I going to put the thought in their mind? And I'm like, no, that has never been shown to be true. If someone's thinking about it, they're thinking about it. If you broach the subject, then you might give them permission to talk about it. Now, that doesn't mean to ask everybody, you know, are you suicidal, are you suicidal? I'm, you know, that can get carried away too. But if someone you know is close and they're struggling, then you may say, hey, where are you? Are you, you know, have you had thoughts that life's not worth living? Because, you know, we need to get you some help and take them to someone for help. Um, you know, and you say, where? Well, depression is very, very treatable. And, um, you know, there are many, uh, you can go to any physician and get treated for depression. You don't have to see a psychiatrist. And if you wait to see a psychiatrist, you're probably going to be waiting too long because there's not enough to go around. Primary care doctors treat much more depression than psychiatrists nationwide. I mean, 10 times as much because it's so common. And that's who you're already seeing or your OBGYN or whoever your primary care doctor is. Reach out to them. Ask for some help medication-wise. Or if you need some counseling, you know, counseling also helps. There's a lot of ways we can get, we could talk about treating depression, but we don't have time for that tonight. Reaching out for help is the first step. And I think asking that question to a friend lets them know that you care about them. You know, it shows I'm worried enough about you that I'm going to ask this uncomfortable question because I want to know the answer and I want you to be safe. Um, Rachel reaches out, writes in and and says, and this is very important. um, We post these under a podcast called Let's Think on it, right? So if you think, hey, someone may benefit from listening to this later, but they're not listening now. I know this is in the evening. It's a tough time for some people to listen. Uh, Yeah, anywhere you find podcasts, usually a few days, a week later. Usually about Monday. Yeah, Um, wherever you find podcasts, Let's Think on it. Uh, Before we go to a quick break, tell me this, Abby. Uh, I'm someone, and I'm being serious about this, Mm -hmm. that doesn't like talking on the phone. I don't like talking to anyone on the phone for the most part. I mean, it's usually quick and, yeah, hey, what's up? Great. Let's talk about that. Awesome. Done. Uh, So tell me this. Is there a texting option? I know that we talked about the possibility of that at some point. Right. So um, for people who are not phone talkers, um, there are options of um, online chat, going to crisischat.org and talking to someone that sends you to a National Suicide Prevention Lifeline Crisis Center. Um, and there's also um, options for texting. At our center, we have texting through our Kids Helpline and Teen Link program. And then there are also, um, we're developing our, a text line for our crisis line as well. If I text the Teen Link, they'll be like, come on, dude, just call us. <laughs> we'll help anyone no matter the age. Yeah. So feel free to text us on that. Just too. give us a call. Before we take a break, too, uh, I think it's interesting that there are so many more primary care doctors than psychiatrists. For me, it just seems like it'd be a more interesting field to go into psychiatry. I don't know. I, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, but it's, I mean, there are so many more generalists than specialists. I mean, the number of psychiatrists are very small. So my question is taking it a step back uh, to the causation of depression itself. And you hate to generalize these things, but is there typically an event that sparks depression or is it just, uh, you know, progressive onset? It's a great question. And, and, you seem so much older than you are. <laughs> <laughs> I did that a lot. <laughs> so um, that's a, just a very mature question. Um, and there's no one answer to that, but I'll tell you that um, depression is a combination of your biology that you walk around with and 
your life experience, okay? So it, it, for some people it can happen that um, it just happens on its own um, and they struggle with it you know, much of their life and they have to, have to really work at managing it. It's kind of like uh, being born with diabetes. And then for other people, it's a manifestation of chronic stress. So we know the brain can get there on its own, but it frequently gets there through the result of chronic stressors. That can be an, a, a major acute stressor or multiple smaller chronic stressors, but stress, psychological stress on the brain can lead to a state of function that we call depression. And, and that state of function is really a state of dysfunction. It's not working as well as it normally does, and that's the thing I want to kind of really help people understand. And it can be improved. It can be repaired, if not fully, significantly. Um, And so if people will reach out for help, it definitely can be treated. It is so treatable. Um, Sometimes it takes multiple trials, and it may not respond 100%, but it's definitely manageable for most people and completely treatable for many. Um, So great question. Um, different Rachels writing in. Uh, we talked about one. Uh, Rachel came in and said, yeah, awesome to know about see- seeing a general physician, right? Because a lot of people, I guess, don't think about that. You think, oh, you need to go find a psychiatrist. Uh, but also another Rachel writes in and says, hey, in the context of those seeking help and they may be experiencing thoughts of suicide, I would also like to point out that emergency rooms are trained to evaluate and refer to the appropriate level of care for even those who don't have insurance or a primary care physician because a lot of people think, I don't have a doctor that I can go to. Um, she, in fact, works She's a psychiatric social worker that does admissions at a hospital. Great, yeah. great point. Thank you for, for making that point. Yeah, Absolutely. Just reach out to the ER. If you, yeah, if you don't have a ready source, go to someone who's in the medical field and they can get you where you need to go. Yeah, absolutely. Most um, anybody's going to respond. I mean, you tell someone you're struggling with suicide, they're going to get you help. If you get to someone in the medical field, they're going to say, okay, let's get them help. Abby, or the calls that you guys get, is it primarily people that are in just the beginning phases? Or are they are they right on the edge and they're about to commit suicide? What, what are you guys normally dealing with? We get calls the whole range. So we'll have people who, you know, this might be the last call that they're planning on making and we'll have people who have been having these thoughts and they're scared by those thoughts and they want help. And so, you know, the majority of our callers are people who are having those thoughts and, and want help. And um, it's more rare for us to have those calls for people who, who are about to act, but we definitely get those too. And so anybody who who's struggling with it, we, we get those calls. Yeah, yeah. So I'm getting another uh, question about um, methods. And so, uh, you know, a very dangerous combination is someone who's struggling with depression um, that has access to uh, a gun and couple that with alcohol. That that combination is is the most uh, likely to result in a suicide attempt and or completion. So um, we counsel people all the time. I mean, if you if you're struggling with depression, uh, tell family members you know get weapons out of the house because when when someone is at the point where they just don't feel like they can go another moment and there's something that is so quickly fatal that's a bad combination mm. um and so and that's you know guns are the neat are the most common cause or most common i guess method, method yeah. of suicide 51 mm-hmm. percent um, of people in 2016 used yeah. a firearm so definitely um over half of all suicides which is 
you know, want to make sure that people, you know, get the right help and, and don't have access to something when we're in that, when right, they're in that right. state. Listen, yeah. and that, that's an important thing for us to talk about when we also talk about gun control and what are we going to do about the issues that we have in this country with guns. And no matter where you fall on that argument, uh, it's important to know that access is is something we can all agree on that people that are going to harm themselves or others do not need to have access and that's something we can all make steps towards right. protecting mm-hmm. and and i don't want you know so we live in the south there are a lot of people who are hunters and and i'm i don't want to prevent someone from reaching out who you know owns firearms by saying okay if you tell someone you have depression you can't have firearms what i'm saying is while you're depressed mm-hmm. your firearms need to be locked away or taken away and I've had patients who, who've come in and told me, I told my wife, mm-hmm. put my guns away. Yeah. I don't trust myself right now. I mean, mm-hmm. so, you know, it's essentially, it's a, it's a temporary place people are in when they're having suicidal mm-hmm. thoughts. And so you need to take measures to keep that person safe. Now, if someone, you know, struggles chronically with depression all their life, then yeah, I would say they don't need really ever own a firearm. So I'm not trying to make this a firearm issue. I'm just saying if someone's depressed, they don't need access to a firearm um, during that period. Yeah, so, that's easy enough. Um, it is easy. I mean, it's just, and so you just need to you know, educate family and say, hey, just, just you know, do this now. Um, so that's a great question that was, that was brought in. Um, so uh, our friend, Meg, writes in two <laughs> things. One, I, have I been, I've been maybe introducing your incorrect, is Meg's the director? Of the Meg is the executive yeah. director. Oh, okay. She said, don't get rid of me so, so <laughs> I'm the crisis line coordinator. Um, yes. Okay, gotcha. That makes, that so the actual better. director of crisis center has now. Uh, uh, <laughs> Not stealing your job, Meg. But she also brings up a really good point. Um, and Meg, thank you for what you do at the crisis center, obviously. I mean, Meg does a great job. We love Meg. Uh, she says, let's talk about the terminology regarding suicide completed versus committed right what tell me about that you know so oftentimes people you know when they're referring to suicide use the phrase commit suicide and we know that language matters so much and um that commit suicide has so many negative connotations with committing a crime or committing a sin and so we want to remove as much of the stigma around suicide as we can and so by using terms like complete suicide or died by suicide it removes so much of that stigma and just keeps it based on the fact without keeping any of that language that can imply judgment interesting yeah. okay i've yeah. not heard that and so and we think suicide is also it's a spectrum um and so you know i i may ask people every single day about their thoughts on uh, on this topic um so people can i would say the majority of people have had a thought about death um, not wanting to live I would say more than, I, I would just, I, there's no way to measure that number, um, in my opinion, accurately. But just um, knowing how many people I know that have depression, 20 to 30%, probably underreported, um, I would say probably at least half people have, have thought, you know, I don't, I don't know if I want to live anymore at this point in time. Doesn't mean they're acting on it, doesn't mean they're going to act on it, doesn't mean they have, have had a plan. And I call that thoughts of death, okay? Um, and then you move towards, as, as depression gets more severe, uh, you can move towards thoughts of suicide. So, yeah, I thought, you know, I might take my life. 
And then you asked him, what, you know, has there been any specific plan? Have you really thought about how you would do it? And that's another step in someone's psyche. Um, and if someone has actually thought of a plan, even if they've never come close to acting on it, then that, that's just another level up of concern. It's all concerning. but That feels like a major step in my mind. It is another yeah. level up of concern. Because I think, like myself, I do not uh, suffer from depression. It's not something like I'm able to kind of deal with stress in a way that doesn't bother me that much and whatever. Yet even I can have many times thought, man, I'm just kind of a screw-up adult. Uh, boy, there's a life insurance policy. My kids may be better off without me. Well, they could have that money and never have to worry about college and this and that. Like, even I have had that kind of thought. But it's never gone beyond that. It's just yeah. been this kind of like deep thinking, whatever. Um, so that takes it to a whole nother level. Well, it takes it another level, but, it, but it's a gradient, you know. And, and so um, people with depression have been there many times um, and thought about suicide, but not ever close to acting. They don't, you don't need to rush them to the hospital. But then if they've thought about it and, and taken an action, it doesn't mean they've attempted it, but just, you know, they've picked up a gun and thought about it. That, that's another level of concern. And then, of course, if they've taken any action towards it, and many people take an action and obviously don't complete suicides, and I've talked to hundreds of those people when I used to work in the, um, the inpatient units. Um, and so most of them, I would say, um, found that they acted on it in the, with the combination of, of a substance, most commonly alcohol. I mean, it, it was on their mind, and then they had a drink, and then they took the next step. I'm not saying that's the only way people act on it, but that is such a common scenario. So that's another thing, like taking guns away. I would also say, let's take alcohol out of your picture for right now till we get you undepressed. Right. Um, so, you know, I think it's just it's a continuum. Ada? So a couple minutes ago, uh, the word stigma was brought up, and I was uh, wondering about another type of stigma. I'm not sure if this is prevalent in adults, but at least in high school, there is this huge stigma surrounding mental illness, depression, and of course, suicidal thoughts. Is there, are there actions that, you know, the general population can take to get rid of the stigma? Or do you, do you have patients or people who call in uh, concerned about this? Yeah, that they're going to be, if they open up about it and talk about it, that they're going to be viewed negatively, maybe bullied, um, you know, and right. not be accepted. Yeah, I think Although so many times people are scared that if they're seen going to the counselor's office at school, that people are going to judge them. And so that's definitely a, a very real thing. I think one of the first things that we can do to try and help erase that stigma is have these conversations and open it up and, and be more open about mental illness, be more open about suicide. Um, so I think that's something that everybody can do. And I think something that maybe is coming out from last week, we're having more of these conversations, which hope, hopefully can start to reduce the stigma there too. Um, and the show 13 Reasons Why, people ask me about this all the time. I did watch the first season. I'm a couple episodes into the second season. I don't know if I'm going to continue. It's, just, it's hard for me to connect a little bit with teenage stuff. Uh, but what do we think? Is this good? Is this bad? To me, it almost kind of glamorizes... Um, suicide. I can see that side of it. I know also now they are, of course, giving before every episode and at the end of every episode uh, information of, hey, if you're dealing with this stuff, here's what you should do. Um, where, where do you fall on this? Either one of you guys. Well, I watched the first episode, I mean, the first season. I mean, okay. And um, I have mixed feelings. I tend not to, you know, I'm not a, too much of a categorical thing. It's not good or bad. I think it did a really good job of bringing up many issues that st- put stress on st- 
students. And I think it, it brought up a lot of different issues that you know, led to the reason this person took her life. What I didn't like about it was that part of the approach seemed to be blaming others. Um, you know, like if you hadn't done this, if you hadn't done this, I wouldn't have done what I did. And I did not like that aspect of it um, because we need, I just didn't like that aspect of it. I don't think we can blame one person for someone else's actions. I do think we need to be careful of how we treat people, obviously. And I think we need to treat people with care and love. And, and we can certainly help people and we can affect people by how we treat them. Um, but I think people feel, a lot of people who are survivors of someone who's taken their life feel guilty. And then so now, you know, some of the treatment that I uh, perform with patients is helping people who are the survivors of a loved one who committed suicide. And that is so difficult for them because they're, they ask themselves, well, what could I have done differently? And, mm. and you know, why didn't I do this or that? And, and it's just, it's not fair to... Um, put them under a level of guilt. Um, I mean, so for that I, for that reason, I did not like the approach that 13 Reasons had, but I did like a lot of the issues that it brought up that are very important, that are stressful for, for teens as, with regards to you know bullying and a lot of other things they touch base in there. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd like to make a quick point about survivors, and oftentimes survivors, when they lose a loved one to suicide, have so much guilt and so many tough feelings going through the grieving process so the crisis center has a support group that meets on the first and third thursday of every month for loved ones who've lost someone to suicide and that that's free of charge um, and you can call the crisis line to um, find more information about that dr westfall what do you hear or notice as being the reasoning behind like most people that, that you deal with um, as patients is it uh trying to free themselves like I, i've heard before um, people that have tried to commit suicide and, and have failed or tried to um, complete complete suicide and have <laughs> failed at that, that they they describe like that the like once it's the plan is in motion like once it is going forward and they can't stop that that they were just like oh well I'm no longer concerned what do you you know what I mean like they kind of feel free like oh they're not more scared of the act they're more just like oh now I don't have to worry about that stuff anymore and of course we talked about uh, I said I heard someone on NPR the other day talking about how they felt they'd like they didn't want to die that had nothing to do with it they just wanted rest away mm -hmm. from this pain of depression right. and that was the only way they felt right. like they could get it what do you what do you hear okay so i watched something the other week that uh i think uh can give listeners an analogy maybe they can can connect with if they've never suffered from depression so i watched a, a um, documentary called falling man you've seen, seen it? it yes okay so this is about the world uh trade center bombings mm -hmm. and uh, specifically a photo that was taken of an individual who um, looks like he's in a peaceful uh, well, but yeah he left he he, he yeah. jumped from the world trade center because he was above the level where he could get he couldn't get down um and he wasn't the only one many people are there are lots it's yeah. just the most famous picture right from that yeah. and so if you think about that action um if you if you think about being in a, a building where you know it, this this is going to be suffering. I mean, uh, if you stay, okay. And so, um, by definition, that person committed suicide. Now, I think people probably don't think of it that way as much as someone who is not on top of a burning building. But the reality is, is someone who's suffering from depression and uh, takes their life is leaping away from suffering 
okay? In their mind, it is a way to escape horrible suffering that they're in the middle of. And so it, it seems to be to them to be freeing. Here's the difference, is that someone with depression, there are other alternatives. I was going to say, good news, <laughs> unlike exactly. the falling man. Exactly. So that's what I want to have tons of options and that's why we're doing this tonight exactly right is that there are other options and so it is your and your brain is telling you this is a way out Mm -hmm. you have to fight against that and say yeah there's other ways out and i'm going to take those other healthier ways out but that's how much someone's struggling and that's it that's the place they get to to take that action is they're really struggling so you know, for someone who's never had it before, you may not understand the, the pain of depression, but um, uh, the, the message to people who, who do have depression is that reach out for help and we can, you, you can feel undepressed. Now, you may not believe that in the moment, and you may need a family member to come take you by the hand and take you to someone to get treated, and if you're a family member, take them to get them treated. Don't mm-hmm. wait. Don't let them talk you out of it. Get help for them. Help them get help because people who are depressed often can't get themselves to help. Um, yeah. Look, I didn't want to bring up Falling Man or Suicide Tourist. At some point, I do want to do a show about this uh, because those are completely different things. End of life decisions, right? Mm-hmm. Completely different than mm-hmm. what we're talking about. But I do think right. it's an interesting thing at some point to talk about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing. I'll tell you this, even if you if you haven't, I've, I've talked to friends about this and, and you know, a lot of people have these thoughts, even if they don't move to the next steps of, yeah, man, the world would be, the George Bailey, the world would be better off without me because I'm a problem for people and I cause drama and this and that. From every situation I have been around, people that um, have completed suicide, it's, it's never been that way. It's never, the family's never, of course, whew, Ah, well, things are better. It's not the oh, case. it's horrible. It's mm-hmm. not the case. Um, and so that's why we're so lucky to have the Crisis Center and, and what you guys do, Abby and, and Meg and, I mean, Janet and everybody involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a really important thing to have here and a great resource for, for people in town. And so, yeah, and this is an important thing to talk about. Yeah, well, thank you for letting us come on and talk about it. Well, that was a no-brainer, like I said. When you called, I, I knew what you were calling about yeah. immediately. So there you go. Don't forget that you can catch all of these talks that we have uh, with Dr. Mark Westfall under the podcast, Let's Think On It. A couple of days afterwards, usually they are posted, and we, of course, retweet those and, and get them out there. And go back and look. I mean, we talk about all kinds of stuff. Gosh, how long have we been doing this? That's my third year, I think. Yeah, it, third year with the show. You've been with the show longer than that, have you? Third or fourth, I don't know. Okay. Sure. And we've been podcasting them for a couple of years, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you can go back and look um, at all the topics that we have talked about. And boy, there are some interesting ones. Every now and then I yeah. get to go back. And I don't like the sound of my own voice, but this is the one thing. I'm like, yeah, I'll go listen to that. Yeah. I will go hear what we said about that topic mm-hmm. every now and then. So it's a good resource. Um, and of course, again, crisiscenterbham.org is where you can go. All the numbers are there. Uh, all the information you need, texting, calling, just reaching out for help. So many great things we talked about tonight, including uh, just your primary care doctor is a great resource if you can't get to a psychiatrist because I know, you know, I tried to look into talking to somebody a year or two ago and I reached out to you and it was months. I mean, before I could get an appointment, it, it just was very difficult. Yeah, it was. And um, so primary care doctor, but even that can take a while. So, so other places, again, someone pointed yeah. out. Emergency or go to urgent, uh, an urgent care clinic. I yeah. mean, any physician can write an antidepressant and 
all of them know how. It's very simple. Yep. I mean, yeah. So you can get started. All right. Great stuff. CrisisCenterBham.org. Ada, great job tonight. Thank Yay. you. I had fun. Of yeah, course, thanks, yeah. Ada. Thanks for being here. Um, Abby, thank you so much for being thank here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, and for what you do. And Dr. Westfall, as always. Thanks. Yep. Great stuff. To listen to Dr. Mark Westfall live, check out O Brother Radio on Birmingham Mountain Radio. 107.3 FM in Birmingham, 97.5 in Tuscaloosa, at bhammountainradio.com, or on the free BMR app. Join in with your questions and comments on Twitter, at Lockamy Brothers. <laughs>